Here's a small part of what's coming up on the Beaver Tales podcast. There is a little bit of like this identity crisis, but for me, it was more like, okay, how can I take all of the amazing things I learned from collegiate gymnastics and from Oregon State and now apply that to the rest of my life? So for me, it wasn't a hard stop. It was just a continuation. That whole conversation coming up on the Beaver Tales podcast. Real quick before we get to this conversation, I want to ask you if you might check out the website for this podcast where you can leave your email on there to get updates both about this podcast and the Beaver Tales documentaries. You can learn more about what that audio project is coming out later this year. And one of the perks of getting on that email list is that you can give me suggestions on what to mention at the beginning of this podcast, where oftentimes I give some free exposure to nonprofits or charities. And if there's one you'd like to give a shout out to or a story, something going on in the community you think deserves some attention, I want to use this platform to do something good. And you can be a part of that conversation if you join up for this email list. Once you leave your email there, you'll get an immediate message back and you can respond to that. Do check your spam folder. They go there sometimes and you can be a part of this conversation. So check out the link in the description for this episode and I hope to hear back from you soon. But for now, let's enjoy this episode together. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Welcome once again, everybody, to the Beaver Tales podcast. I am Josh Warden. Hope you enjoyed your Labor Day. I didn't post an episode yesterday. Normally, I do Mondays and Thursdays, but I took a day off and then chatted with today's guest on Tuesday, which is today, the day I'm uploading this. And don't worry, I'll still throw one up on Thursday and maybe Saturday, too, because I've got a lot of interviews scheduled. Now, most importantly, if this is your first time listening, this is the podcast where I talk with former Oregon State student-athletes about some of the most interesting parts of their career at OSU, and what they've done ever since their time competing for the Beavers, plus what the transition was like when they were no longer an athlete and what it took for them as a person to become something else. And today I'm talking with former Oregon State gymnast, a four-time All-American, Leslie Mack. She was a first-team All-Pac-10 every year at OSU in at least one event. In fact, she was the Pac-10 Gymnast of the Year as a junior in 2011 and as a senior in 2012. In fact, she's the first person in the history of the conference to earn Gymnast of the Year two times in a row. And since the conference expanded in 2012, that means the last person to win Pac-10 Gymnast of the Year was Leslie Mack, and the first person to win Pac-12 Gymnast of the Year, also Leslie Mack. She won two Pac-10 championships in 2011, balance beam and in the all-around. She also shared the Pac-10 title in uneven bars two different years. Now, every gymnast puts a lot of work into their routine, learning the choreography and executing all the skills, but Leslie in particular had some very special routines and impressive skills in those routines. For example, there's something unique about the Yurchenko that she did for her vault. Now, if you don't know what a Yurchenko is, I didn't really either until recently, so don't feel bad, or maybe you are a gymnastics expert and you do, but for those who don't, it's basically an approach to the vault where the gymnast does a round off in front of the vault, sort of like a cartwheel, then does a backhand spring on the vault, and that'll lead to the flipping and twisting in the air and hopefully sticking the landing. Point being, it's a really difficult skill, but pretty important if you're going to be a good vaulter at the collegiate level. But Leslie Mack was told to never do a Yurchenko again after breaking her elbow in Ukraine while doing a vault. She'll recount that story in our conversation as well as why she ultimately did do a Yurchenko again at OSU. Now also her uneven bars routine at Oregon State, that included some, and here's some more gymnastics terminology I only learned recently, shout out to Jamie Law. She did a full twist pack salto in her 
uneven bars routine. That's basically where the gymnast is on the high bar and they pass to the low bar while doing a backflip and a twist while moving forward to the low bar. I'm sure a real gymnast could explain that better or maybe just show you, but just imagine something really difficult and complicated, and that's what Leslie Mack did in her bars routine. So this will be your gymnastics education for the day. As far as life outside of gymnastics, Leslie did meet her now husband at OSU back when they were both student-athletes. Kyle Beverly was an Oregon State baseball player, so technically Leslie is now Leslie Beverly, and Leslie followed her husband to Ann Arbor a few years ago. Kyle was studying at the University of Michigan, and that worked out perfectly because not long after, Leslie got admitted to the grad program at U of M. The Stephen M. Ross School of Business is ranked in the top five schools in the country in their MBA program for marketing, which is what Leslie is studying there and what she graduated in at Oregon State. She's not only in grad school, but she's also been working in marketing for about eight years for E&J Gallo Wineries. And her current job with Gallo is as a brand ambassador communicator communications lead. She'll explain more about what that looks like day to day. Leslie just became an American citizen about two years ago. She hails from Toronto, Canada. So let's get right to it. Leslie Mack is one of the most fun people I've gotten to talk to so far on this podcast. Calling in from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Leslie Beverly, or you may know her as Leslie Mack, now joins me on the Beaver Tales podcast. Well, thanks for joining me from Michigan. It's real smoky here, and I look out at the sky, and it's like orange-colored sky. How about how about you, Leslie? Thanks for joining me. How's it going over there in Michigan? Yeah, uh, different, that's for sure. I empathize with the smokiness because I lived in California for five years, in Northern California, too. But here in Michigan, it's pretty rainy, actually. The power went out this morning. So very different. I think you guys could use some of this rain, eh? <laughs> yes, I, I think so. Um, and I... I know you'll be, you know, enjoy this podcast. And I, part of the reason that I think it'll go real smoothly is because I know this isn't the only podcast experience you had. Just last night, I was listening to the season three premiere of Working for the Weekend, the U of yeah. M podcast. That, that, it sounded good. Did you have fun doing it? Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of fun. I, yeah, so I'm in my first year as a weekend MBA student at Ross, University of Michigan School of Business. And I was interested in joining this podcast that they have called Working for the Weekend and recorded, thank you for listening, recorded our first episode recently, and I'll be co-hosting it throughout the season. So it's a lot of fun and never thought I would find myself uh, hosting a podcast. I appreciate the uh, amount of organization and preparedness that <laughs> is involved, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. We'll talk more about your time at, at Michigan and studying at the, the Stephen M. Ross School of uh, Business yeah. and, and come back to that. Um, let's go kind of a little more chronologically through your story. And mm -hmm. um, I even caught you, you know, using a little Canadian vernacular saying <laughs> A. And so yeah. uh, uh, since you come to OSU from Canada, kind of Toronto area, basically, mm -hmm. I know you competed for the Canadian national team a little bit. I think even before Oregon State, went to Slovenia, England, Ukraine. Uh, yeah. moved to Connecticut in high school. And I know your yeah. sister went to Yale. The, those are the parts yes. of the story I do know. Fill yeah. in the rest of the story of how Oregon State came to the picture and your, yeah. your life coming into college. Yeah, that's a lot of, I'm impressed by your background research <laughs> there. Uh, and it, it has been kind of me jumping around. Um, so yeah, originally from Toronto, like you said. It's a cool story, actually, how I ended up at Oregon State. So Laura Ann Chong was in her, she had finished her freshman year 
and decided to come back to Canadian Nationals, where I was competing at, um, still in high school. And Michael and Tanya actually came to help coach her. And I guess I was in the same rotation or something like that as LA. And that's what we call Lorian LA. <laughs> um, and I think they noticed me and it just was kind of serendipitous, but ended up being in contact with Michael and Tanya. Being from Canada, you don't know as much about NCAA sports or anything like that. So I think I got really lucky um, starting a connection with Michael and Tanya. And then it just um, went from there, went and, and had a recruiting um, weekend and loved, loved Oregon State, loved the coaches and the team. Yeah, it seemed like I know you're pretty close with your sister. You even talked about it on the podcast I listened to last night, and yet you had to go halfway across the country, basically yeah. from from New Haven to Corvallis is pretty far. Uh, yeah. So was that difficult to say? Gosh, I I love my sister, but I'm going to go completely the opposite way of the country. Yes, it was. My sister and I, yeah, we grew up and we're two years apart. We're people mistake us for identical twins all the time. Um, so it was weird for her to be so far away. Um, I just, Oregon State was the right fit for me. And I think the reason I chose Oregon State, despite it being so far from my family, so far from my sister, is because Michael and Tanya represented this family unit. And it just, it just felt right. Um, Tanya came and recruited me in Toronto and watched me train and met with my family and we had dinner and she just spoke in such a way that reminded me of like, hey, I can see Tanya and Michael being my second uh, set of parents, like my home away from home. So it, you know, the distance didn't bother me. I think what mattered most was that they felt like my family and so did my, I mean, my Oregon State teammates were like my sisters in school. So I miss my sister, but we still FaceTimed all the time. We still live far away from each other. And, you know, you make it work. If you have the important things right, you make it work. Since you moved from Canada about 17 years of age, give or take, then you lived in America for well over a decade before getting citizenship. So what, what did it take? Yeah. I think it was about two years ago. What did it take to get your American citizenship? Yeah, so I got really, really lucky. So my dad, actually, the reason that we were in Connecticut for a year, I was in my senior year of high school when we moved to Connecticut, um, was because he got transferred with work. So because my sister and I were young enough, basically his work helped us all kind of get the green card. Um, and then that just made it easier for me to then apply for my citizenship years later. I know that it's a challenge for some student athletes at Oregon State to figure out, well, what am I going to do now? Can I stay in the U.S. or not? So I got very lucky in that sense. Um, but I think when it was time for me to renew my green card, it was like, okay, do you want to move back to Canada or just, you know, apply? And it seemed like it was kind of a, a shoe in from there because I had my green card for so long. I was already working. Um, and I had, uh, he wasn't my fiance yet, but we were, you know, <laughs> on that path. So everything made sense for me to stay in the U S yeah, it's, it's, yeah, maybe a tough decision. Cause I know other international student athletes or even, you know, Canadian gym, I know Sabrina Gill was from Canada. Mm -hmm. I think she just finished her career and I believe she just moved back to Canada. So everybody's yeah. got their own decisions and yep. whatever works out, but uh, I'm, you stayed in America and it's worked out well. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's it good. Has. And now that I'm in Michigan, I'm actually only 45 minutes away from the border. Oh. So 
it does Michigan feels a lot more like home than you know being all the way on the west coast right well there's a lot as we talk about time at Oregon State in your career there's a lot I could ask about but let's start with um, actually the event that you maybe did the least because you're probably most yeah. known for bars and beam and maybe floor exercise but I want to first ask about vault even though that's not the one you did your first couple of years yeah. um, I, I think it was I think part of the reason you didn't, correct me if I'm wrong, was you had some elbow issues coming out of high school and even at Oregon mm -hmm. State. Um, so help me with the timeline here, because I watched an interview where you said your elbow issues, you were told to never do a Yurchenko again. But yeah. then your junior year, as I'm watching the video, I'm like, I think you're doing a Yurchenko there. So did you <laughs> just throw caution to the wind and say, I'm just going to do it? Or what happened there? Yeah, it's kind of another cool story. So the way I broke my elbow was I was competing for – the Canadian national team in Ukraine and at podium training, um, I broke it in the round off part of my Yurchenko. There's a lot of pressure obviously on your arms in that move. Um, and then, you know, took a long time to recover. And then my doctors were essentially saying, there's a high chance that you'll injure yourself again, doing the same move. We recommend you change your vault. I was never a strong vaulter to begin with. So not being able to do your tango meant doing some like measly soup or whatever else. Um, so then Michael and Tanya and I knew, yeah, vault is probably not going to be in the cards when I'm a collegiate gymnast. Um, and then I think it was summer of my sophomore year. Michael had us doing these sprint tests, just kind of like spring training type of stuff, see where you're at. And Mandy Rodriguez had gone before me and she was our, you know, best vaulter on the team really fast, strong. Um, and she went before me and had a, set a certain speed. And then Michael timed me right after. And he's like, holy cow, Leslie's at that same speed as Mandy. She's good up floor. Let's see if she can do vault now. And I was obviously a little nervous just knowing my past history with my elbow. But I think the key difference is that I was a lot stronger at Oregon State. I think my body was the strength and condition I had was built for college gymnastics. Whereas in elite, you know, it's, a, it's, a, I was stronger in a different way, but it's so much pressure day in and day out, you know, two days of practice a day or two practices a day. So Michael and Tanya just did the right drills with me and made sure I was healthy and kept checking in on me. But um, between the right coaching and the right help from Deb, um, our trainer, I was good to go and started competing all around junior and senior year. So it seemed like Michael noticed the, the speed and thought, okay, we got to get her on vault because of that speed. And to use baseball terms, since your husband a baseball player, maybe he's made the yeah. same analogy is like a pitcher who's got the fastball velocity. It's like, oh, he can throw a 98. Well, we can yeah. add the curveball and figure it out if he's got the speed. And similarly, so with vault, what is it exactly that helps if you've got that speed? How does that affect the rest of the skills and, and how much is that beneficial to making you a good vaulter? Yeah, I think having the speed is important because it's, it's setting you up to have enough momentum to have enough bounce off of the board and enough bounce off of the horse. Um, I mean, there are probably some gymnasts who can pull it off without the speed, but for me, that's like, that was essential for me to be dynamic enough on floor as well as on vault. And um, and then too, it's just having the right drill and the right kind of awareness and Michael, all credit goes to Michael because it's not like I then went back to doing the vault 
that I competed at before my injury in high school, I learned a completely new skill. I couldn't do a, a layout pull um, even in high school. So Michael helped me, you know, from soup to nuts with, with vault and with getting my drills and everything in the right place. I'm trying to imagine, I think this was the high school one where you broke your elbow in the approach on the Yurchenko. So I'm trying to imagine if you break your elbow as you're planting into the ground and your momentum is still taking you up to the vault, did you manage yeah. to somehow avoid the vault or did you still go on the vault and try to land or gosh, how did that work? And your yeah. elbow's broken. You still are halfway up in the air. It's a bit of a blur to be honest, but I did kind of like halfway finish the vault and then kind of just like crumpled into a ball and was like, this is not right. Something doesn't feel right. But because I was in Ukraine and competing for the national team, we still kind of, I mean, I didn't get like an x-ray or anything when I was there in Ukraine. And in fact, I actually competed beam the next day. <laughs> and uh, I had a unique, and then even throughout college, I didn't use my arms at all. Um, so the only thing I had to change was I had a back handspring in my um, routine for beam and I changed it to a one-handed back, back handspring. So I still competed beam on a broken elbow and just used the one good hand um, to go on the beam and then flew back to Canada at the end of the trip, found out my elbow was broken and gave it the proper recovery after the fact. <laughs> That was maybe the most amazing thing of even your time at OSU, because when you re-injured your elbow, and this was in warm-ups at Ohio State your sophomore year, I think it was, like the second meet of the year, and yeah. you managed to still do beam most of the rest of that year by doing essentially a hands-free routine. And I'm thinking, what? It's hard enough to do beam already, and now you got to not use your hands while doing it? Oh, my yeah. god! That's actually... I almost forgot that happened. I'm amazed by your level of research, but that's right. And then I think it wasn't until sophomore or junior year that I completely got rid of the back handspring in my routine. And then I ended up switching my series to be front aerial and then gainer layout and totally was hands-free on beam. So I guess, hey, maybe high school version of me in Ukraine knew what was up. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> One last question about your time at Oregon State, and then we'll talk about life afterwards and yeah. what you're doing these days. Your bars routine was especially impressive. The, the thing I wanted to touch mm -hmm. on, and again, I'm, I'm no gymnastics expert. This is all learning from other people who know the sport better, mm -hmm. but you had a full twist pack salto when you're going from the high beam to the low beam a full twist and the flip to the low uh -huh. beam and then keep flipping yeah now my understanding is the start value would have been 10 which is the important thing you, you want to have a 10 start value if you can so that you know if you nail it you could get a 10 or deductions yeah. would only bring you down to nine nine whatever it may be that even if you just did a pack salto just a, a one flip without the twist you still could have had a 10 start value, but you threw in the twist. So I'm curious, why did you make it harder when it we didn't increase the start value? So what was your motivation to add a little extra flair in there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I learned the pack full uh, in high school as well um, from my club back in Toronto. And it kind of just came, became my like legendary skill uh, especially for bars. And it, I don't know, it was just part of my routine. And I think, I, I mean, the cool thing is I didn't really water anything down from elite level in high school to college. 
if anything, I became a better gymnast. I, you know, learned to have better form and more awareness, stick my landings, things like that. So I just still thought that skill was valuable enough, impressive enough, and, you know, wow worthy or 10 worthy that it was worth keeping in. And it was a tough skill, especially as I got older. I think this, the, I mean, your body is tired of gymnastics by the time you're 21, but it was still, it was still special enough for me and worth it to the coaches and the team to keep it in. Yeah. Do you think that judges, when they look at two routines and they both have a 10 start value, but one is just barely to that 10 start value. There's nothing extra, no skills beyond that. And the other one's like, oh my gosh, that's Simone Biles doing three things beyond the 10 start value that are not necessary, quote unquote, but just are way cooler. Technically judges, I think, shouldn't like give extra points to the more complicated one because it's just a 10 start value. But do you think they score those routines differently because they're technically harder? I think maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm no judge, but I, I think if anything, it's the difference between a routine being second last versus last in the lineup. Mm. Uh, I mean, not to take away from any individual contributor to the lineup. I think every, you know, from the first routine, which frankly probably is the most important, more important than the anchor because they set the team up and they set the stage but then the routines build from there and they all have to be solid throughout. And, and then the anchor, I think that's when, if there is kind of a wow routine, not to say it's, it's better, there's just something unique to it. That's like the cherry on top or the exclamation mark. So maybe that helped me secure the anchor spot, but at the end of the day, it has to be consistent and solid too. So, I mean, credit goes to the coaches for figuring out that right balance. And ultimately for us, for me, it was deciding, okay, let's keep in the pack full, get it, get it right. And then I got to be an anchor and kind of end with that. And it felt so good when I hit my routine (laughs) and nailed it. We were such a good bars team that it was cool to be able to end with that routine. Yeah. That's pretty fun to watch. Now, one of the things that I like to touch on with each guest, no matter what sport they played, what era it was, is the element of you were an athlete, you put all your time and effort into the sport, especially in college and whatever career afterwards. And then at some point it comes to an end, the athletics mm-hmm. doesn't last forever. And then you've got to figure out, oh gosh, not just what am I going to do with my life? Although that's part of it, but who am I? Like if I'm not Leslie totally. Mack, the college gym, gymnast, <laughs> then, then who am I as a person and what do I find important in life and what's my fulfillment and validation? So when your college career came to an end and, and you're not a gymnast anymore, you might go, you know, exercise in the gym, but it's not your full-time thing. Was that really difficult? Was it easy? How did you wrestle with that in terms of no longer being an athlete? Yeah, that's a really profound question, by the way, because a lot of athletes think that, okay, my ultimate goal is the Olympics. It's collegiate gymnast. It's getting to NCAAs. And then you're kind of thinking, now what? And luckily for me, there was always more to it than just gymnastics. And I, again, have to give credit to Oregon State for telling their student athletes and helping us see that there's more than just your sport. We want to set you up for financial success and personal success and success in your career. So I was in the College of Business and knew I wanted to do something business, marketing, sales related. So I actually was recruited into my company that I work for now, Gallo, 
right out of a career fair as a senior. So I had my goals and had my plan um, that I knew I was going to follow through with even right before I graduated. I, I knew the plan. So there is a little bit of like this identity crisis, but for me, it was more like, okay, how can I take all of the amazing things I learned from collegiate gymnastics and from Oregon State and now apply that to the rest of my life? And thankfully too, I'm still close with a lot of my teammates and I still feel this connection to Oregon State and Michael and Tanya and the rest of the team. So for me, it wasn't a hard stop. It was just a continuation. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And, and since you brought up Gala, let's talk a little bit about your job in, in the wine industry and, and yeah. marketing and, and what you're doing now in Ann Arbor, plus your grad school studies. Um, yeah. The cool thing about Gala is I read this was the first company in the wine industry to establish like brand management. And they seem kind of on the cutting edge of the marketing style of things with, with the winery industry in particular. So since you kind of work in brand management and marketing, uh, what's that kind of been like in your day-to-day -day role with the Gallo winery? Yeah. So yeah, Gallo has been such a fulfilling company to work for and it's been such a fulfilling career for me. Um, what's cool is that I started as a sales rep with Gallo. So like started from the bottom, if you will. Um, and I learned such important skills and that have them translated into helping me throughout my career. I, it was somewhere for me to build, um, upon those skills. And then I agree, market, uh, Gallo is great with sales, great with marketing. They're known within wine and spirits, but also within entire CPG, consumer product goods, um, because they, they have such great training. Um, and they, like for me, I mean, I knew I wanted to be in marketing, but they said, okay, well, you have to start in sales because that's how you learn how the product looks on the shelf. You talk directly to the consumers who are, can give you feedback on whether they liked it or not and why. You have to sell to maybe your toughest gatekeeper, which is like the wine stewards and the people who bring in the product. And so um, for me, that's what I really appreciate about Gallo. And then it's just been a cool journey to see all of the innovation and the way that Gallo has adapted to this changing landscape. So as your role, I think brand ambassador communications lead is your official job title. Yeah. So are you basically the, the liaison with the brand ambassadors? And then if so, who, who are the brand ambassadors? These like, I saw Post Malone did like a, an advertisement. <laughs> are you working with him or is it other, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, good question. And so yeah, Post Malone is working with one of our um, wines, Maison Number no. 9. Uh, it's a rosé from France, which is fantastic and such a cool partnership. And, and that's just an example of the cool innovation that Gallo is doing. I was unfortunately not involved in that project. <laughs> so the brand ambassador role that I'm in is I'm helping our marketers um, communicate and work with our brand ambassadors. And so our brand ambassadors are the ones that are, you know, like out in their markets advocating for their brands and basically trying to create advocates for the brands whether it's like the bartenders that they sell to or other sales reps that are also selling it. And they're really kind of like the face to the brand. Um, and maybe some people would be more familiar with like influencers type of thing. They're kind of like that. They're definitely in an influential role. And so my job is to help the two communicate and ultimately be set up for success. So it involves a lot of communication, which is great because I learned those skills throughout Oregon State. 
Um, and for me, it's a fun balance between the selling I used to do when I started with Gallo and then the marketing skills that I learned too throughout my career. Right. You may not have worked with Post Malone, but if you had a dream celebrity that you could work with and get involved in an advertising campaign, who would you pick to be on a, on a poster on some commercials that you would work with? I think it would, it might be a, like an Olympic athlete. I can't think of one in particular. Um, gosh, I, I don't have a great one person, but I think my the perfect person in my head is an athlete. I think especially because like, it's part of that, what we were talking about, how you acknowledge that after sports, you have a life and you're like normal, like maybe Allie Reisman. She was a gymnast and I think she's done a really cool job of being done with gymnastics and now showing to the world and her fans, hey, I'm more mature, I'm grown up. Um, this is what my life looks like now, but I'm still such a good role model and advocate. So even if it's wine and spirits, I think you can show like, now that I'm a normal person, hey, I, I, I can drink or enjoy like a glass of celebratory wine or champagne. So I think that'd be a pretty cool uh, celebrity ambassador to work with. <laughs> That's cool. As you were saying, Olympic athlete, I thought, you know, maybe Allie, I mean, Simone Biles would be great, but the more yeah. like post- post-college like Allie came to mind for me too so I'll, I'll wait for that for that campaign and I'll wait for Allie yeah, to be on all right someone. I'll get working on it <laughs> good, good. Um, couple last things for you Leslie uh, you're not just working for Gallo but you've got a whole other time commitment at, at Ross uh, at University of Michigan right there in Ann Arbor yeah. so since you wanted to go back to grad school it seems like you're still pushing yourself and learning a lot and being active in your career field. What's, what's something about marketing that you're learning right now? Something that you're like, okay, you're really developing in about marketing that you would know that a, a layman non-marketing person like me wouldn't know. Yeah. I, well, our first semester, one of our classes that I took was marketing and it was cool to just hear about all of these models and the structure that our professor um, his name's Dr. Branch, um, <laughs> kind of taught us. And um, I, what I just really appreciate about school now is it's, it's teaching me more structured ways of learning what I've kind of been dancing around throughout my career. And with me doing part-time, I'm still able to take what I'm learning and apply it to my job in real time. Um, but uh, what I love about marketing and what we learned in this class was it really comes down to storytelling. And that's always been a passion that I've sort of followed. And uh, that's why I loved sales. That's why I loved marketing. And what I'm doing now is brand ambassador communications lead. And so we just learned kind of how to build a go-to-market plan and really tell the story for a brand. And I think that's why I became interested in this podcast, um, working for the weekend as well as yours. And um, I love reading. So to me, I think that's what brings it all together for me with marketing and what I'm learning in school is the idea of storytelling. So hoping to continue learning more about that and then continue on that with my career. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy day and talking no on the podcast, Leslie. It was awesome to connect with you and looking forward to people here this episode. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And this was such a treat. So fun to go down memory lane. That really was fun to chat with Leslie Mack and have her recount some of her best moments. She had an interesting career, not just because of her success, although Pac-10 championships and All-American four times is pretty amazing, but 
the way she did it, handling elbow injuries and doing skills she didn't think she'd ever do again and just crazy routines and also just fun to hear about her life since then getting into marketing and it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of her career and I bet she'll be pretty successful with what her career has already looked like and her studies there at uh, Michigan. Also, shout out to the Cravallis Knights, former summer intern Leslie Mack uh, back uh, a few summers ago when she was in Cravallis. So that definitely set her up for all the success she's had. All right, my thanks to Leslie for joining the podcast. A lot more fun guests coming up. Just on Wednesday alone, I'm talking with Michael Balfour, OSU football, Logan Ice, OSU baseball, Angus Brandt, OSU basketball. Later on, I'll get Jay Losey, Matt Bersano, hoping to get my first OSU softball guest soon, and women's soccer as well. So that's all coming up. So until we chat again on all of those episodes, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs.